Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. Or to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. There is an irreducible minimum of truth that constitutes the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is this that every faithful church of Jesus Christ believes and teaches. Here it is. You must believe in Jesus Christ as none other than the second person of the Godhead who existed eternally as God, yet took on himself a human body of God's own making. He did this so that he could grow as a man, live a perfect sinless life, and then die on the cross in our place. On the cross, the Lord Jesus shed his blood as an offering for our sins so that he could satisfy the demands of his perfect justice and holiness set against our sins. He did this because in love he desires to save all those who would recognize their sinfulness and just condemnation and their absolute inability to save themselves, and who will then understand that God's righteous demands for justice are satisfied in his death the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know that Jesus' death for our sins satisfied God's demand for justice because following his death, he rose again from the grave. His resurrection is a guarantee to us that we who turn to him and place our faith in him are accepted and shall live one day eternally in resurrected glory with him in heaven. Now, this is the gospel Paul says he taught as of first importance. Listen, without the resurrection from the dead, Christ's death on the cross is not good news. It's just news. So when they gloried in the cross of Jesus Christ, you understand they were glorying in the resurrection as well. The cross is a story of Christ conquering over our sins. At the same time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not good news either if it's independent of the fact that first He had died for our sins in our place. The resurrection would only be some meaningless divine stunt if it did not follow the understanding that Christ had suffered for our sins first. You see? And so when they spoke of the resurrection or when they spoke of the cross, they were using simple language, but that language embodied these irreducible truth claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. It says something about who we are as sinners. It also says something about who we are as ones who are loved by God. It says something about God. All of His attributes shine out through the gospel. It says something about His purpose for our lives, and it says something about our futures. Paul says, this is consistently what I preach, what I declare, what I seek to make known to you. Everything that I have ever said to you lives upon and is built upon the foundation of this gospel. That's what Paul is saying. Folks, that's consistency. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says at the very beginning of his letter, just to illustrate this point, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Basically, he said, I came not glorying in my own ability, not my charismatic powers, not in any kind of powers of persuasion I might bring upon you by the force of my own emotion or my own will or my own flesh. I wanted to make known to you and I wanted to know before you Christ in his death for our sins, the gospel. Now, Paul comes to the end of his letter 
And the beginning of his letter begins with this determination to know the cross and the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. And at the end of his letter, the whole chapter is dedicated to proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ and triumph over those sins. And it's the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin, you see. It's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For Paul, he's not making a distinction. He is showing us that he has been consistent throughout What a wonderful statement on consistency in the life of Paul. Now here are our questions calling for our consistency as well. The question would be something like this. Have you embraced this good news? Have you received it? Have you embraced it so that it defines your whole approach to others, your whole approach to life? Does your life and your mouth give expression to this good news? Do you treat men as enemies and adversaries? That's not the gospel. Do you treat men and people as gods who you fear and you seek to placate with mellow and inoffensive words? That's not the gospel either. Do you treat them as horrific sinners who are loved by God and mysteriously by God deemed worthy of his own death? That's the gospel. It changes the way you live among men and it changes the way you live before God and it changes the way in which you even perceive yourself. And Paul says, I have, I do, and I now continue to declare this gospel. Now, here's another part of consistency. From him declaring it and and seeking for us to stake our claim in those truths as well, he moves on to saying this. He asks this question of us. Is this where I stand? Am I standing in the gospel? Is this where I hold my ground in the life that's surrounding me? You know, life is filled with all kinds of uncertainties. We live in a day and age in which changes are coming upon us all the time, and some of those changes are good, and a lot of those changes aren't good, and the older we get, we see that it's changing more and more rapidly, and we can't somehow spare ourselves from at least some of the vestiges of time wearing away on our bodies and on our minds. It can be encouraging at times to see changes that take place, but much of the time it's discouraging, it's unsettling, and Individuals don't really like change. It can cause dis-ease within us and an unsettling of our spirits. One of the ways that people deal with the constant changes that are swirling around them in the world is that they become apathetic about it. They decide that they're just going to float along with the tide and take it wherever it takes them, pretending that all is going to be well. And so they become irresolute. They don't have a will against the age that they live in. They don't exercise the decision to stand against it. They just decide to go along with the flow and hope that everything will work out. Another way in which an individual tries to deal with the changing structure of the age and the things that bring consternation to life because of those changes is to try and capture some part of this world and make it their cause. They try to seize upon some principle, some social principle or some economic principle or some political principle. They make that their cause, the thing that they get their life behind, the thing that they can develop some sense of anchor point for moral resolve in the age in which they live. Well, the reality, though, is this. If you make the principles of men, their creeds and their various rules and their various ideas, their economic ideas or their political ideas or their social ideas, a part of your moral cause in your life, you'll find that they will always take you to an inconsistency. We're talking about being consistent. And the reason is that the principles and creeds of men are incomplete. If you study them, 
They're full of contradictions and inconsistencies. Human creeds are doomed to distort and doomed to deform those who follow them unless they are completely and utterly based on God's truth. No human creed is entirely based on God's truth, although you can find truth in them. Every creed of man is filled with eternal conflicts and contradictions that if followed to their logical end will lead us to grave disappointment. We've seen it again and again. It happens every political cycle that goes around and you think, shouldn't we learn? This is not where we pin our lives. There is one creed that's not like that though. When we seek to live our lives consistent with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the man who died for sinful men, when we understand that man is sinful and facing the wrath of God, but that God loves him and has given his life for him, oh, it changes the way we live. It changes the way we address the world. And when we let these ramifications, the ramifications of this truth, touch our lives and impact the way we live, we find out that we're brought more and more into harmony with the age and the world in which we live in. Interesting. Even as the world is moving away from us and we're moving away from them staking our point in that ground, we find to some extent that there's a harmonious influence that we have on our age. We have a preserving influence on it. As we live out the gospel, we bring peace as messengers of peace in an age that has no peace. And it only happens not when we somehow embrace the principles and creeds and social agendas of men, but when we submit to and live out and live and surrender to this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and seek to make it known. Our lives then become a blessing upon our surroundings. It becomes a purifying, preserving, uplifting, sanctifying influence in our communities when we champion, above everything else, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's disturbing to me when at times I hear individuals who are positioning themselves as evangelical leaders. They are scrambling to find the right words to make some kind of political compromise to the sensitivities of the current age instead of just setting forth the gospel of a God who loves and died for sinners and proclaims that message. This is a question of consistency. Paul, when in writing the church in Ephesus, wanted them to gain a consistent hold in their life, prayed that they would shod their feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And men, in a slippery world, if you want to stand firm, stand on the gospel. Stand on these truths. Stake your life there. So here are the questions for consistency in your standing. Where does my sense of footing in this world come from? Where does my peace come from? Where does my sense of well-being come from? Do I have peace? Do I have well-being? Am I being overwhelmed with anxiety? I might be standing. I definitely am standing in the wrong place. Does it seem to you as if the most important issues of life have been settled and confirmed for you? You're not worried about constantly entering into the debate again, entering into the fray. It's settled for you. You're above it in a sense. What is the point in your life from which you will not budge and give way? Make it this gospel. Christ says this is where it is for the Christian. We have settled the issue of truth. For us, we know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We have settled the issue of personal peace because He is our peace who has broken down every wall. We have found the point from which we will live our lives and build our homes and plan our futures. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We stand in this. The last part of this consistency is this. Am I experiencing the gospel's saving power? Paul says, you stand in this and you are saved by this. And the word saved there in the Greek, it should read, you are being saved. What that means is this, that this wonderful gospel truth and the salvation that it brings to the individual is not something that simply gets you a passageway into heaven. It's not simply a fire insurance that you buy to bypass the gates of hell. It means that this gospel, when it is truly believed and fully and continually brought into our life and touched upon, becomes an ever-breathing reality in our life where we constantly, for example, feel the darkness of sin that once separated us from God. And we no longer want to have the shadows of that sin cast over our lives. We don't want it to obscure or shadow the bright, growing, developing fellowship that we can enjoy with God. The person who is being saved by this gospel understands that this gospel is not simply meant to get them out of hell, but it's meant to lead them on to ever-ascending victory in Jesus Christ. It's to lead them in triumph over temptation. It's to bring comfort to them in the midst of trials and grant them perseverance through them and a glowing witness after them. It is a gospel that finds in the individual sinner an idea that God has found my sin, washes my sin, and is making me into a saint where he's shaping me into the holiness of Jesus Christ himself. It works on us by the power of the Holy Spirit and lifts us up into higher planes of living. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.